Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. For those of us who believe that, uh, you know, the intent of the framers of the Constitution have any relevance at all to the Constitution and to how we interpret religious freedom, there's one principle that seems to be pretty clear. And that is the government doesn't give money directly to churches, that, that you don't have to have your tax dollars used to support somebody else's religion, or even have money taken from you by force by the government to support your own church. That was what the Baptists fought for, for decades prior to the Constitution. But that very issue is now before the court in a very interesting case involving a church, a church school, and recycled tires for resurfacing playgrounds. Here to discuss it, uh, my good friend, attorney Nicholas Miller, professor of church history at Andrews University and director of the Andrews University International Religious Liberty Institute. Nick, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Always good to be with you, Alan. So, why don't you give us a factual uh, synopsis here of uh, of this case, Trinity Lutheran Church against Pauli. Sure. So Trinity Lutheran Church runs an elementary school, and uh, there is a program in the state of Missouri to provide financing for physical facilities uh, within the state. One program allowed the purchasing or the financing of rubberized, playground surface to replace asphalt uh, so that it would be a safer surface for the kids. And um, Trinity Lutheran applied for the monies for the program. They seemed to be otherwise qualified for it, but uh, the request was turned down because Missouri has what we call a Blaine Amendment. A Blaine Amendment were a series of amendments passed in the 19th century. Uh, this was before the Establishment Clause applied to the state. So at that point, states could, if they wanted, provide money or benefits to religious organizations. But uh, these amendments effectively created an establishment clause, if you will, at the state level, and said that states could not fund churches or church-run organizations. And because of the existence of this Blaine Amendment, this request was uh, was turned down. So Trinity Lutheran appealed this denial to the federal court, essentially on the basis that it was a kind of religious discrimination, that they were a school, as other schools were, uh, providing similar services, and just because they were religious, they couldn't obtain this benefit. Um, they lost at the lower court level, but they are appealing the Supreme Court to try to have this Blaine Amendment, and by extension, there are a number of states that have similar funding limitations. And um, if this Blade Amendment is overturned, then by extension, all the others will be as well. Now, one of the chief um, attacks on these Blaine Amendments, as I understand it, is to say, well, they were a product of anti-Catholic bigotry designed to keep tax funding away from Catholic schools. Is that accurate? 
Well, that's the argument that's made, and there is uh, undoubtedly some historical truth to that. The public schools at the time uh, had a certain amount of Protestant influence in them. Bible readings were done. These Bible readings were viewed as non-sectarian. Teachers would read sections of the Bible with no comment. And for most Protestants, uh, it was non-sectarian. Uh, but if you were a Catholic, um, you didn't want to read the King James Version of the Bible, which was a Protestant version. You wanted to read your own Catholic version. And uh, so the Catholics fairly, brightly understood that the public schools weren't really neutral towards Christianity. Um, and so they ran their own schools, and they were trying to get public financing for those schools. And so these Blaine Amendments were indeed part of the effort to prevent that from happening. Why is it so important that we have a bright-line distinction that we don't give cash, as it were, tax dollars, directly to churches? Well, you know, this does go back to the Founding Fathers. It certainly was a principle that, uh, that Jefferson expressed very strongly. It's tyrannical and sinful to force people to pay for belief for religious beliefs that they uh, they don't embrace or accept. Madison had a similar view. Madison's argument was perhaps a little more nuanced, and if you read his Memorial and Remonstrance, one of the, I think, the most salient and important points he makes is that by allowing legislatures to fund religious groups, you are going to turn the legislature into a battleground of religions and churches and religious groups. And Political process is the process and uh, product of compromise and coming to a middle ground. Religion is the realm of faith and dogma, and it's very difficult once you inject principles of sectarian religion into the political process to have the kind of compromise that keeps things moving forward. And we looked at, you know, we had the immediate experience of our European background where churches and the church and the state you know, worked together, and church resources went to, the state resources went to churches, and it ends up that minority religious groups who aren't well represented in the legislature get discriminated against. And so we made the decision early on to remove that potent mix of public funds and private religions and separate them out. And I think for very good reasons that we shouldn't walk away from easily. Well, and not only do minority religions get discriminated against, but at any given point, there are minority religions that people would be horrified, you know, if they were receiving government support. And, you know, that list may change, uh, you know, from generation to generation, but there are religions that people feel strongly about. When I was coming up, uh, there were a number of groups operating that were regarded as cults. Yeah. And, you know, we were warned to stay away from. Well, I think the reality is that in the South, uh, people like to talk about the neutrality of this aid going to all religions. All religious schools would receive this aid equally. But the reality is that the majority religions, the Baptist school and the Catholic school, would receive the aid preferentially in relation to the Muslim school down the road, uh, or other schools that are viewed with a certain level of suspicion. And we've managed to avoid this kind of schismatic fragmentation of our society that we actually see happening more in Europe, in part because our public institutions and public funds are meant to be neutral 
towards all our religious groups. You know, there's another point that you didn't bring out here, and that has to do with our understanding of how government money can sap initiative and uh, sap the life out of the church. The biggest difference between Christianity in America and in Europe, where it's dying, is that our religion is not publicly funded. If we want to have a church, if we want to have a church school, we got to pay for it. And that means we care enough to make sure that it is something worth supporting. Well, and I think the the principle there is that the churches stay responsive to the attenders and the people that are supporting the church. If the money is coming from the government, the church is responsive to the government. Whereas in America, where the churches have had to rely on voluntary payments by the public, we pay much closer attention to the needs and concerns and spiritual values of the public. So you're right. In England, the government funds the church and nobody attends church. Here, the government doesn't fund the church, and we have a far, far, far higher percentage of churchgoers. Well, and then, of course, there's that age-old golden rule problem. And I don't mean the, the golden rule in the Bible, you know, do unto others. I'm talking about he's got the gold makes the rules. That's right. Here in California, we're facing legislation that would impose some pretty serious secularizing rules on religious colleges and universities if they choose to continue having their students accept uh, state financial aid for college. Money almost invariably comes with various regulations and strings attached. Strings that strangle. Strings that strangle. And the Bible says it well in the book of Proverbs. If before you sit down and eat with a ruler, consider well the food that is set before you. And if you are a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat. The idea is that there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> and the state is going to make sure that it gets what it needs out of the bargain. And at times what it wants to get will go against the philosophy and beliefs of the religious school, especially in this day and age of uh, changing secular sexual agenda and uh, restrictions that are going to be set down on uh, how schools can talk about family and sexuality matters. So is all of this really at stake with whether a small church school in Missouri can get included in a program to purchase recycled rubber tires for the health and safety of the kids playing on the playground. (laughs) Well, now that you frame it that way, Alan, (laughs) clearly there's ways that this case could be decided on narrow ground that would allow this contribution to go to the schools. You know, arguably, if there wasn't a Blaine Amendment, probably existing establishment clause jurisprudence could allow this benefit. It's neutral. There's nothing religious about it. It's not likely to be used for religious purposes. The problem is is that a lot of powerful religious organizations are trying to use this small school and this rubberized playground to make much larger arguments uh, about federal and state finances going in a much more dramatic way to religious institutions. So it's like the camel's nose under the door. The court could decide on very narrow grounds and not disturb existing establishment clause doctrine, and that would be fine. But it's trying, people are trying to use it to overturn that doctrine. 
I wouldn't have a problem with the state giving recycled rubber tires to churches, you know, so they can then have their contractors install better playgrounds because recycled rubber tires are just a safety issue. But you're talking about giving cash to buy the tires, which then means that the government has an obligation to make sure the money is used to buy tires and not to buy, say, Bibles or send out evangelistic flyers to invite people to hear the gospel. And then there becomes an entanglement problem with the government having to monitor the program. And uh, so, you know, these, uh, we have to admit that there isn't this bright line between church and state, that there are various services that the state gives the church, whether it be fire and uh, electricity and water, which no one has a problem with. So maybe this rubberized playground could be part of the safety function that the state applies. And I don't think anyone would argue with that. The problem is people are trying to use this to make much larger arguments. Well, this has been a very interesting discussion of a very important case. Before we close, any predictions? Well, I think with the Justice Scalia no longer on the court, it's a 4-4 divide with four very strong liberals. Having lost below, the church really faces a tremendous uphill battle because if it comes out 4-4, the lower court decision stands and they're out of luck. So I'm really quite pessimistic on this one for the Trinity Lutheran side, but optimistic on the side of retaining a higher wall between church and state. Our guest today, attorney Nicholas Miller, director of the Andrews University International Religious Liberty Institute. We've been talking about the uh, pending Supreme Court case, Trinity Lutheran Church against Pauli, and you'll hear more about that case in the future as it's argued and decided. Thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today, Nick. Sure enough, Alan. And as we close, we want to remind listeners we offer help to those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>